Recovery Elevator, episode 117. I just want to feel free where I don't even need a drink to be myself. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I've been sober for two years, seven months, and two weeks. On today's podcast, we've got Ashley. She's 32 years old. She's from Iowa, and she was sober for 42 days, and then she relapsed. But now, she's got 16 days of sobriety under her belt, and she's moving forward. This podcast comes out on May 15th. That means we've got five days until May 20th for the AALRM. That's a live, again, life recovery mission, Run for Recovery. You can join us in person in Bozeman, Montana on Saturday, May 20th for a 10K or a 5K or you can do a virtual run. This is pretty cool. We had about 15 to 20 people do the virtual run with us last year, and you can register for that at recoveryelevator.com forward slash run. Use the promo code recoveryelevator for a discount. Again, as I mentioned in the previous podcast episode, Cafe RE will be capped at 250 members. I imagine this is going to happen in the next week or two, so please don't wait and sign up if you'd like to be part of the original Cafe RE membership community. Use the promo code RE1MONTH, that's one word, RE1MONTH, for your first month free. There will be another group starting, but there will be a wait list to get into that, and I'm not sure when that one's going to launch. Okay, let's get started. Alcohol does not make us more intelligent. I don't even need to Google that. And provide data and scientific information and research and facts. I think it's generally accepted, kind of like GAP, the generally accepted accounting principles, which I still do not understand to this day, even though I own a couple of businesses. I think it's generally accepted that alcohol makes you stupid. And it is linear in relationship to the amount of alcohol you drink. One drink? Yeah, not quite as intelligent. Two drinks? Twice as stupid. Three drinks? Three times as unintelligent. Four drinks? Well, now you're approaching Robin intelligence. I'm not talking about Batman and Robin here. I'm talking about the Robin the bird. I think your brain shrinks to the size of a bird brain. Let me back up these statements with a couple personal experiences. Number one, let me talk to you about drunk driving. It's wrong. As I sit here in front of this microphone today talking to you, it's wrong. I'd like to say I will never drink and drive again. If I stay sober, that's a high possibility. I'm only worried about today, not drinking and driving, and not drinking at all, so today I should be just fine. However, when I was drinking, I felt the same way about drinking and driving, that it was wrong, that it was selfish. It causes a ton of societal damage. But I remember several times while being at a drinking establishment, my mind would slowly change. I remember one time I was at Spectator's Bar and Grill in Bozeman, Montana, This arguably is the best bar in Bozeman, said nobody ever. I was watching a World Cup soccer game and the game just concluded. I said to myself, I'm at point A. My home is located at point B. I've got keys in my pocket. I've got a car outside. It's got three quarters of a gas tank in it. Well, let's go. What didn't come to mind was Montana Penal Code 4.2-6 that drinking and driving is illegal. There's no gray area in that law. The next part of more cognitive thinking never arrived in my brain. And unfortunately, this happened many times when I was drinking and I was at bars. I'm ashamed to say it, but I did. I drank and drive many times. The average person drives 76 times before getting pulled over for a DUI. 
I think for me, that average holds true. Unfortunately, like I said, I remember one time I was drinking and driving up to Big Sky where I was going to work. I was going to go DJ a wedding. I had a broken taillight and my genius thinking was, well, I'm driving uphill. If I see a police car behind me, I'll simply signal to the right, put my blinker on like a law abiding driving citizen and let gravity slow me down. And I won't tap the brakes, indicating to the police officer that one of my brake lights is no longer functioning. Wow, Pablo, critical thinking equals none. Let me share another story with you that happened about a month ago on St. Patrick's Day. I was at Old Chicago's in Bozeman, Montana with a couple friends of mine, both sober. One of them was Sean, who has actually interviewed episode 98 on this podcast. Another gentleman named Christian, who's been sober for a couple of years as well. This gentleman, who looked like he just came from a Ziggy Marley concert and smelled that way as well, approached our table and just started chatting us up. This didn't seem normal at first because each one of us assumed that the other person was very good friends with this person. It wasn't until about two minutes into this awkward dialogue did we start to realize that, wait a second, nobody has a clue of who this individual is. Now, don't get me wrong, this individual, very friendly. The world needs more friendly people, but the world does not need more friendly drunk idiots. This gentleman could piece together conversation, but when it came to even a little bit of critical thinking, he simply could not grasp it. He looked at the bartender and said, let's do a round of JMOs here. Let me refer back to my drinking days. I'm pretty sure that's short for Jameson shots. So he ordered four Jameson shots, one for himself, three for us. The three of us looked at him and we said, you know what? Thank you very much for the offer. Kind, sir, but we don't drink. We're good. And then the blank stare ensued. It wasn't a look that he had been offended or that we kicked his dog or he was mad at us. He literally could not comprehend there were three people at Old Chicago's on St. Patrick's Day that didn't drink. He was like a broken pinball machine where the flippers still work on the sides, but the wiring upstairs just wasn't making any connections. After about 15 more awkward seconds of this blank stare, I offered him a breadstick, which seemed to end the awkward spell that he was under. He took the breadstick, took a bite, and returned to his seat. And I think the first comment at our table was, that is why we don't drink. Let me tell you about another scenario that happened about a year ago. I was walking my standard poodle Ben on my lunch break at work on Main Street. Now, Bozeman, Montana, it's not that big of a city, but most Main Streets have traffic. Yes, including ours. We have stoplights, turning lanes, two ways of traffic, and it's probably the busiest street in town. I'm walking Ben. It's a lovely spring day, and from across the street, I hear hands clapping on thighs. Shortly after, here, boy. Come here, buddy. Come here, bud. Hey, buddy, 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 buddy. Come on over here. What's up, doggy boy? Instantly, Ben pulls on the leash, nearly pulls me into the road, and I look across the street, and there's this guy summoning my dog across five lanes of traffic. Now, this is not one of those situations where you need to craft a response, draft an email, sit on it for 24 hours, and then think if you're going to hit the send button or not. No, I unleashed a diatribe full of F-bombs, butt darts, shit nips, ass clowns, idiots, morons, etc., I looked over at him and I was like, dude, don't call a dog across five lanes of busy traffic, you fucking idiot. My fuck. Now, I'm not 100% certain this gentleman was drunk. However, he was standing in front of the second worst bar in front of Spectator's Bar and Grill, 
an establishment called The Scoop. Smoking a cigarette, drink on the ground next to him, summoning my dog. Myself, without any alcohol in my system, was able to put two and two together and say, this guy's a drunken idiot. What was this guy's reaction? Well, he had no idea what I was saying. His brain was like that unwelcome hourglass symbol on a Windows PC computer. It was trying to function, but it just couldn't. His response was, hey, I just want to pet your dog. And I explained my tenable position of, yeah, I understand it. Look at him. He's a beautiful dog. Golden curls, standing two feet, six inches tall, more athletic than a cheetah. Of course you want to pet this dog. I would too. But the thing is, dude, you can't call a dog across traffic. Again, blank stare ensued. He couldn't quite figure it out. Now, I'd like to back it up to around 2003. I'm at the Gore Range Brewery in Edwards, Colorado, and I decide to approach the most attractive woman in the bar and strike up a conversation. Now, I think three to four podcast episodes ago, I covered the topic of does alcohol give us courage? I can summarize that whole podcast episode with no, alcohol does not give us courage, but it doles our faculties. So here I am, way out of my league, chatting with this woman when the conversation takes kind of a weird turn. And I do remember this moment. Don't ever reference California as Cali to a person from California. I still find this strange, but okay. I made the reference. She was not impressed. And we started to kind of make fun of each other for a bit. She then commented on my height, which is something I can't control. I'm five foot nine and one eighty-fifth of an inch tall. Okay, five foot nine, one eighty-fifth of an inch short. Not that tall, but I'm really not that short. Just an average dude. And then when she decided to take the conversation to something personal that I really can't help, my liquid courage or my liquid stupidity allowed me to take the conversation in a new direction. I noticed she was wearing sandals. I noticed also that one of her toes was rather deformed, shall we say. I looked down at the toe, got on my hands and knees, inspected it with a closer eye. I then stand up on my feet, yell across the bar, Hey, Sean, you got to check out this toe. It's super fucked up. And then thud. I get cold cocked across the face in the eye by this woman. The bouncer saw the whole thing and she was removed from the bar, but I had a black eye for two and a half weeks after that, including my black eye for my senior year football photos. You might be an alcoholic if you have to wear makeup for your senior year football photo due to a drunken brawl with a chick. I say brawl, but it really wasn't much of a brawl. I got my ass kicked. Just straight up kicked. Thank you, alcohol, for putting me in that situation. I don't like to pass the buck like that, but I'm not sure I would have a black eye for my senior year football photos had I not been drinking that night. And you know what? I want to hear from you guys. Send me an email to info at recoveryelevator.com with the most unintelligent things you have done while being drunk, and I will read it on an upcoming episode. I cannot wait to read this. This is going to be awesome. Now, let's hear from Ashley. Ashley, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Ashley, let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? This time, I've been sober 16 days. Nice job. Congratulations. A little over two weeks. How's it feel? Good. I think this time, I'm totally more focused than I was any other time, so it feels good. There you go. And before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, maybe where you're from, what you do for a living, how old are you, do you have a family, and give us some hobbies. What do you like to do for fun, Ashley? I live in Iowa. I lived here my whole life. I will be 32 next month. 
I have three sons. They're 14, 11, and 9. And I work in a daycare for adults with special needs. And I did just recently, a couple months ago, pick up a second job where I provide transportation for the railroad. And what do you like to do for fun? That's like a tough question for me, really, because I've drank for 20 years of my life while doing everything. So I don't really know what I like to do. Normally, I would just like to drink and do anything that comes my way. So really, I don't know. Like I love to go to shows, but I know that I can't go to one for a while because I'll really be tempted. So at the yeah. moment, I'm just trying to figure out new hobbies and things. So That's a great answer. Simply, you know, I don't really know. Because when I got sober, after September 7th, 2014, I was kind of in that same boat. I was bored, and I didn't really know what I liked to do. And I found out that I like to hike, and I physically removed myself from the city of Bozeman, I think like three to five times a week before the snow fell in 2014, and I just started hiking. And, you know, there's no general stores on the top of mountain peaks, and I found that I love to hike. You know, I'm excited for you to find new hobbies and new pastimes that are much healthier than drinking. And, you know, yeah. when did you first experience that you, you might have a problem with alcohol? Is it just is it a new thing or five years ago, ten years ago? Oh, I've probably known for several years that I drank more than most people. I mean, I started drinking when I was 12 years old. And so it was just a fun thing to do with everybody in my crew. And I went to parties with older people, you know, so I was the cool kid. And then just continued. I mean, I started drinking more when I was 13, got in a lot of trouble with the cops from underage drinking. And then when I was 14, I got sent away. And even on home visits, I would like sneak booze in my window and my friends would bring me some or actually one time I got into my mom's stash of like UV blue and I drank some and I tried to cover it up with water and food coloring <laughs> and the next week the next week she called me at the group home that I was living at and she's like well I had friends over this week because my mom never drank so I thought she would never know and she calls me and she's like well, Ashley, I had friends over this week, and they told me it tasted like water. So we came to the conclusion it's water and food coloring. And I'm like, oh, crap, I'm in so much trouble. I'm never going to get another home visit. And then she says, you were really bad last summer before you were sent away. And I'm like, whew, she thought I did it before I went there. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. So even, I know. So even when I was sent away on home visits, I was still drinking with my friends, you know, having to sneak me mad dogs through the window and stuff. And then I got out of lockup and I started to be on the right track, but I still eventually, you know, went back to drinking and partying. And when I was 16, I actually got pregnant with my oldest son. So I moved out on my own and that was hard too. You know, I didn't really have a lot of people coming around. You know, I was a young kid, single mom living on my own. And so I just, I drank at home. And then I think it just got a little worse. I mean, I had another son in there and when I was 21, you know, I can now finally drink at bars. So that's what I did a lot. And when I was 21, I was stupid and got two DUIs a month apart. So that wasn't cool. And, you know, I felt like a piece of shit. And I had to go to outpatient treatment. But I really didn't think I had a big of a problem, even though I knew that that was really stupid of me. And then I had another son. And I left their dad when he was a baby. So... In that time, I lost my license for five years. Wow. And so, you know, I'm a single mom at home with three little boys by myself, no license, no social life whatsoever. So that's when it really got worse. You know what I mean? I just lose with my best friend. I would just drink at night when they went to bed. You know, that was like my comfort. Like, 
you know, then I didn't feel so alone. So definitely in that five years when I didn't have a license, it got worse. And it's just progressed over the years. Ashley, it sounds like you had to grow up fast having, you know, gotten pregnant at 16 and then you having your third son by the age of 21 and, and mixing that with alcohol. It sounds like it was, you know, the, the drinking was just precipitated in your, in your early twenties. I mean, by 21 with TDU, two DUIs, you've been drinking for nine years. Now you're, you yeah. turn 32 next month. You're, you're young. How do you, you know, how do you experience, you know, how has it been getting sober at a young age? difficult actually because everybody I know drinks and so it's hard for me really I've had to just distance myself from everyone you know the people that I would talk to I'd send them messages like please just leave me alone I'm not drinking so please don't come to me and ask me to drink you know don't Mm -hmm. tell me there's a party or something going on or how fun you had at something like I really just need to distance myself from everyone because otherwise I'd totally be tempted like everybody in my town my age drinks so I just had to totally distance myself. I'm trying to find some sober people, which is really hard around here. But I know that I need that. Otherwise, I'll just be lonely and fall into the same cycle of drinking because I'm lonely, you know. And listeners, that's a huge value bomb right there. It, it might seem like it's common sense that, yeah, if you want to get sober, you can't hang out with the same crew that hangs out at the bars all the time. But common sense, I mean, or, you know. Everybody has a different definition of that, but it's hard to put those rules in a place. And I got to say, nice job, Ashley, for, for actually changing your playground and making those changes in life because that's really hard to do. And before you, 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 you got 16 days of sobriety, you had 40 days, 45 days of sobriety before that. What do you think happened yeah. when, when, you, when you relapsed? Well, I honestly, before that, I forgot about in the fall – I came to this realization that I've gained weight and, you know, I'm going to do a detox cleanse. That's what I'm going to do. You know, I don't really have that big of a problem. So I'm just going to cleanse for 30 days and I'll feel awesome. So that's what I did last fall. And then I was like three weeks in a good band was playing. I was like, I can't miss that. You know? So I went and I drank and then I never went back to that cleanse, you know? (laughs) And then in January, I know. And so in January, I don't really know what hit me. Maybe I just wanted to get healthier, I think, was my big thing. And so I, I did it for 45 days, and I felt awesome. I distanced myself from everyone. And then I went to a funeral, actually three weeks today. And I, it really almost didn't go. I talked to my mom about it that morning. I was like, I know all my friends will be drinking there. You know, I don't know if I should even go. I get there, and I tell my friends who are drinking beers, I'm like, I haven't drank for six weeks, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm so proud of you, and then the next thing you know, my friend was pouring shots of menthol, and it was that quick. I was like, oh, I want one too, and I took one, and it was just on from there. I said, oh, can I have a beer, and then I drank beers, and that was at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, and then I went to bars. I didn't even get home till 9 o'clock that night, and I continued to drink at home that night. Like, it just didn't stop. And so that was a Tuesday, and then on that Friday, my friend hit me up to go out, and I was like, well, I just drank once, you know, I didn't drink for the last three days, so I can do it. So I went out with her, and I was like, I'm only going for an hour. And this is like at 11 o'clock at night or something, and the next thing you know, I didn't come home till 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, I closed down the bar, went to an after party, and came home at 5 in the morning, and I felt like such a piece of shit, and I didn't drink that Saturday that I came home, but then the next day... Sunday, my friend's a bartender. She hits me up, says my other friend's in town. So I go there at like one o'clock. Then I, once I started drinking, uh, 
I think I had mixed drink. It was just on. Like, I didn't want to go home. That's how I get. Like, oh, I'm out for once. I don't want to go home. So I drank and went out with her when she got off work, came home, and then continued to drink with a friend until 9 o'clock in the morning. And then the next day, I just realized, like, holy crap, that one shot, I just drank for five, six, six days straight. I just drank. Like, from the morning till the next morning. And I was like, whoa, you know, that's when I really looked at things like, maybe I can't just drink one drink every once in a while, you know? Like, this is why this time it's totally been different than the 45 days. Because really, when I was sober for them 45 days, I thought, all right, I'm not going to drink for a couple months. And in May, I'm going to go to this music festival, and I'm going to drink there, and it's going to be okay. Like, that's really what I was telling myself. Mm-hmm. And now that I've done this relapse, and I realized, holy crap, it went that fast, and I didn't care about the world. Luckily, I was on vacation. I would have probably lost my job that week. But now that I've relapsed and went so quick, I realize I can't just drink one because, for me, I don't stop. And that means don't stop the whole night long, you know? Yeah, and I want to back it up to the funeral and where you told your friends, and, and nice job to you, it's, it's imperative when we go to those situations that almost the first thing that comes out of your mouth, it's like, hey, Paul, hey, guys, I'm not drinking today. And that's like the first thing right. that I started to do. Um, and it sounds like your friends were very congratulatory. Hey, that's awesome. We support you. And it just sounds like they didn't offer you a shot. You just saw the menthol going around. And studies show yeah. that the unconscious mind will react a third of a second faster than the conscious mind. And that's happened to me before where before I know it, there's a drink in my hand and it's already making the trip to the mouth. I'm ready to drink it. You drink it and you're like, holy shit, what just happened? It was my goal totally. not to drink at the funeral. And it's, it's the predicament where, you know, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. And towards the end of my drinking, I didn't know if one drink, if I was going to wake up the next morning and, and get back on the sober train or it would last a week. And that's kind of, it was, it was happening more and more. So we, what do you think happened on that, on that menthol and that menthol drink and, and the reason why, you know, why do you think you took that shot? Probably because that's what I'm used to doing. I'm the type of person, I don't care if I'm tired or if I have something to do. I just have never said no to alcohol ever. Like that's why, how people know me actually, you know, Oh, Hey, I want to go out or I want a drinking buddy tonight. Well, let's hit up Ashley because she'll go, you know, she loves to drink be a fun time so I think that's what I'm used to you know so it just happened so quickly I think it was there and that's what I was used to doing with everyone well you got 20 years under your belt of drinking it's it's really hard to, yeah. to just flip the switch and all of a sudden you know break those habits the circuitry in the brain where you know when you see it you're nor used to drinking it so I understand 100% I've been in those situations many a times and it failed many times in those situations and it wasn't until you know, I really got more accountable and started telling people my goal to be sober that, you know, the rubber started to hit the road. And, you know, tell me about a time in, in the past when perhaps you put a rule in the place and said, look, I'm not drinking before this time of the day. And, you know, if that rule worked. Hmm. Well, I probably tried everything. Let me think. Uh, I definitely probably said, oh, I'm not going to drink. On, I'm only going to drink on the weekend or I'm only going to drink at night when the kids go to bed. Or I'm only going to drink with people. Or I'm only going to drink at home because at the bar I just get totally shit-faced and don't remember anything. Um, at one point, I actually, like a year ago, I was like, oh, I'm going to be healthy. I'm only going to drink vodka with water and like a squirt of that water flavoring. You know, I'm going to be healthy about it not drink beer. So I've, I've probably tried everything. 
Yeah, that's the common answer. <laughs> we exhaust all <laughs> all brilliant plans and ideas. We finally, you know, realizing, oh crap, this this the this the real deal that I'm up against. Now, how did you right. do it? You know, how did you get 45 days of sobriety? How did you get 16 days of sobriety? Were you just straight up, you know, willpowering it through, or were you working a program, or how did you do it? Pretty much willpower. Like I just realized, I can't keep doing this. I've drank for 20 years of my life and missed out on so much, and my brain is mush anymore. You know, I don't remember all like these good times, especially with my kids. And that's what hurts. You know, I, I don't remember a lot of things. And so like the 45 days I went to a every once in a while, you know, I did it a few times and then I pretty much just did it on my own. I told everyone to leave me alone. I wasn't seeing anyone. And then like this time I knew I had to do it differently. And I like heard in a podcast or something, I believe about, you know, you can't do it without support. Like, you can't do it on your own or you're most likely going to fail. So I've been trying to go to A every day. I mean, it's not been every day because I have kids. It's hard to get a sitter, which really, like, you know, sucks because I can't get there even though I really want to. But I've been going to AA, and, you know, that really seems to help. And I honestly listen to your podcast, like, several times a day. Thank you very much for listening, Ashley. And there was something that I want to touch up upon. What you said was, this time I'm going to do it different. And that is basically how the Recovery Elevator podcast was started because I, I did not want to drink again. I could not face the doom and gloom, you know, failed suicide attempt. I could not go through that because I knew if I drink again, yeah, the, the end was near. And I knew that I had to do something different. And that's when I got totally outside of my comfort zone, got a sponsor, went to 90 and 90, started a freaking podcast. And, you know, I haven't looked back since. It's been the best thing that I could have ever done. And what do you think you're planning on doing differently this time? It sounds like you're you're going to AA, which is awesome. I know it's hard with the sitter. You know, but what else are you planning on doing differently? Just keep distancing myself from those situations. Like if somebody asks me to go do something, I need to just say, you know, I'm not going to go. Even though I can tell myself in my head, I'll be all right when I get there, you know. I'll have willpower. I'll be strong. I don't care if they're drinking around me. I know myself better than that, you know. I just can't put myself in that situation because, for instance, the funeral, you know, it's there. I'm never going to say no at this moment. So I need to just distance myself away from it. And it said podcast helped me immensely. And I'm AA. I mean, I'm trying to find more people that are sober and are fun around here. I'm not having any luck, but I hope that I find some kind of group where, you know, I can make new friends and that are sober, you know. I think that's imperative that you keep going down that, that, that pathway of, of connecting with other individuals who are going through the same thing. Because the best way, after interviewing hundreds of, of, of alcoholics who have been successful in sobriety, I found that the best way to tackle this issue is through community. And you know, not only with people in recovery, but also be open about it with people who aren't in recovery because they're equally supportive, believe it or not. And you know, what's your plan to try to connect with other alcoholics? Hey. And like I said, I've just really been trying to find stuff online for like local people who are sober, groups or anything, because I really just need people in my life that are sober. Mm -hmm. Loneliness, that's always been my thing. Loneliness is what gets me to drink. My friend just said that the other day. She's like, I know the weekends the kids are gone. It's hard for you because that's what you're used to doing. You just drink the whole weekend because you're alone. And that's my big thing. Loneliness is what always, why I always drink. Yeah, loneliness and boredom were really hard for me, and I just, I just had to remove myself from the scenarios and get out in the in the mother nature and start hiking. But eventually, you know, the party will come to you, even if you're at home. You know, the, the, it's it's everywhere, and so, 
you know, do you think eventually in the future you're going to be able to go back to shows or is this a long-term plan to just stay in? I love music. Like, that's my, my love. Like, seriously, I love going to shows. I feel so free there. And I think it's really going to take me some time. I just said this to my therapist the other day. I was like, you know, I think in my head, well, you know, I'm, I can't think this far ahead because I think, oh, man, it's nice now. How am I going to not drink? Or what if the Grateful Dead came and played here tomorrow? I would have to go. How would I miss that? But I know I would drink there. So that's like really going to be a hard struggle. Do I go or do I not drink? And I know it's going to take me a long time to really go to a show again. No matter how much I love the band, I need to seriously not go because I will drink. I'm used to being that free person who drinks and dances. And to be honest, I don't know if I'd be that free dancing person without the booze at the moment because that's what I was used to for so long. I won't be going to shows, but... <laughs> yeah, what I think the what stood out right there was at the moment. You know, 16 days of sobriety, it's probably smart to, you know, to skip the big shows coming to town. Yeah. But it's, it's at the moment. Uh, I In early sobriety, you know, with like seven or eight months of sobriety, I find myself closing down the clubs in Vegas sober with my best friends in the fantasy football draft. And do, and they were just like shoveling me soda water with cranberry and, and nice. you know, limes and stuff. But you're right. It's, it's at the moment. And the timing wouldn't have, it would have been just terrible if I would have gone in the first month or two or three or four or five or six of sobriety. Those situations are tough. Now, you know, tell me more about the dark places that, you know, the drinking has taken you in the past. Tell me about a time when, when he was just like, I cannot go through this again. Honestly, like, I black out a lot. I When I would go out, I would be triple, quadruple fisting every single time. You know, I would have a beer, a mixed drink, so I didn't drink one faster than the other. People were handing me shots every 20 minutes. And every time I go out, I always black out. And I don't remember anything. I don't know how I got here. My, my band's across town, and <laughs> I just was a mess. A lot of, I was trying to think of what some crappy things I've done. I mean, definitely the DUIs, you know, I lost my license for five years. My two younger boys, they were just babies, so they didn't know me to not drive for five years of their life. And that, that was really hard. You know, I couldn't take them to do much, and we were stuck here a lot. So that was really, like, my dark place, being stuck here in this house and kind of take my kids to do things, and that was just pretty hard. You know, I've been I've been instructed before to journal about that stuff because the ism, the incredible short memory, is a very dangerous thing that uh, that alcohol does to us. Is you know, I've I've at times forgotten how bad my last drink was, my last you know month or two leading up to it. But I journaled a lot in early sobriety, and sometimes I read that, and you know, I can just see like my handwriting has improved. My hand was shaking at the time when I wrote that stuff, and I don't want to go back to that at all. And in with, so you've got 61 days, I'm counting the 45 days and the 16 days of sobriety you have, you know, tell me about a time in, in that, that early sobriety time when you thought about drinking, but you didn't act on that urge and you successfully made it through. What'd you do? Actually, two weekends ago is that's the weekend my sons go to their dads and like, that's my lonely time, you know? And I don't really have anybody to hang out with. I have one friend who totally has my back and he was busy, he was at work, and my mom had to work that night, and so I was just sitting here alone with my dog, and I was, like, thinking, what the hell am I doing? Like, my kids are gone. I don't have any responsibilities right now. I could just get drunk, you know? Like, I'm not going to hurt nobody. And then I tried to calm myself down. I started listening to podcasts, and I was looking up some different people on YouTube and listening to theirs and just really thinking, like, you don't want to do this. 
you just did this two weeks ago and you totally messed your whole week up. So, yeah, two weeks ago. And this weekend my kids are gone too, so it's going to be hard. So I'm going to see if my mom wants to hang out and hopefully my railroad job will call me and I'll be busy. So it sounds like you used busy, uh, I think, will help. And it sounds like you used a very effective strategy, one that I use all the time in recovery when I get a craving or, you know, the fleeting thought comes to drink is you actually followed the drink forward. You played the tape forward. You thought about, you know, we did this two weeks ago. What will happen? You know, I I asked myself that question. Hey, Paul, what is going to happen when you take that first drink? And I've just got volumes of data in my brain knowing that, you know, shit's going to hit the fan once I take that first drink because, you know, one's not enough. Then it goes to two to three. And then my brain starts telling me, like, well, you know, F it. We've already started. We'll quit tomorrow. But I know that tomorrow if I wake up with any alcohol in my system, but since I had probably 20 drinks the night before, the chances that are high, I'm going to keep drinking. And so I just need to play the tape forward and see the shitstorm ensuing. And I can quickly go, you know what? That's not a good idea. I think I'll have a Fresca and call it a day. Right. Yeah. And so congratulations in, in kind of implementing these these recovery tools early in sobriety. Um, and walk us through a typical day in your recovery. I know maybe the routines aren't in place. You know, the recovery programs aren't in place. But, um, you know, maybe you might be white knuckling it, willpowering it through. But you're on a podcast right now creating accountability for yourself. I think I think you're working more of a program than you realize. But walk us through a typical day in in your recovery. How are you doing it? How are you going to get day 17? Honestly, I just, I keep busy. You know, I have kids. I go to work in the morning. I get off work around four usually. And then I hang out with my kids. I already start planning right then how I'm going to go to AA that night, whether I have to find a sitter or um, they actually told me last week that my sons can start going to the gym there and play basketball. So that, like, was a big weight off my shoulders. I'm like, whoa, they can go play basketball. I don't have to find a sitter. So so just now I focus. I, I plan ahead. You know, if I know I'm going to go to a meeting, I need to figure out right when I get off of work how I'm going to do it to go there that night. And then I've been going. And then when I get home, I listen to several podcasts and wind down and, yeah, it takes my mind off of it. Yeah, this whole recovery thing, it takes a lot of planning and preparation and thought. We're all taking it one day at a time, but it is useful to actually think about upcoming circumstances, schedules, situations that might be problematic. Um, you know, I'm still taking it one day at a time, but I understand I've got a fantasy football draft coming up this August, and I still probably need to remind my friends that I'm not going to be drinking at it. But it is one day at a time. And again, I think you're working more of a program that you know, you, you think, and it's the whole fake it till you make it. It, it, you know, your sober companions are eventually going to emerge if if you put yourself in the right places. Now let's talk about the higher power thing for a little bit. Is that something that you, you believe in God or, or what's your thoughts on that? I do believe in God. And as a child and even a teenager, I went to church all the time. Like I was a big part of it. And then I got drinking. Like I even, when I was like 13, went to a church camp and I snuck in wine coolers. Like really, come on. So <laughs> as I got to as I got drinking and partying, I I stepped away from the church. But a little bit throughout my like early 20s and stuff, I did have a good relationship with God and went to church and I actually worked at one and I felt awesome. But then like honestly, over the last few years, I've distanced myself from it all. But I actually went to church last Saturday with my mom and my kids, and it was really good. So I plan on going to church this weekend, too. Nice. And in these 16 days of sobriety, and we'll include that 45-day amount of sobriety time before, 
you know, what are you most proud of in your sobriety? And I got to tell you, I'm super proud of you for coming on a podcast with 16 days of sobriety. I think it's very bold and brave and it's creating accountability. And, and so what are you proud of? Thank you. My biggest thing is, you know, being there for my kids. I mean, I wasn't one to get a sitter a lot or things like that, but I mean, I have more money that I'm not spending on booze. So I've been taking my kids to do fun stuff. I mean, even if it's running a bunch of movies and having an awesome night together, we stay up on the weekends and watch movies, or I've been taking them out of town and going to do things, and that's just been really, really fun. I even played catch with my youngest the other day, which I haven't done in years, and that just felt awesome. Like, he loved it. I loved it. You know, so just being more active with my kids has been, like, the biggest thing. Like, it feels really awesome. We've heard that a lot on this podcast is what an alcohol-free lifestyle can give you is the opportunity to be present in the moment. And it sounds like you're doing just that with your kids. And how has your relationship with your kids changed in the last two two weeks and two days? It's good. I mean, they definitely didn't see me sloppy drunk all the time. But they totally, they've seen it, you know. They've seen it where I can't get out of bed on the next day and I'm just sleeping in till noon or whatever and missing the mornings. So, you know, now I honestly haven't been sleeping in. I'm not late for work. That's a good thing, too. And so, like, they just see me being more active. And they've noticed that I don't drink. And, yeah, they see it. And they know that I'm going to meetings. At first, I was like, oh, I don't want them to know. But, you know, I, I just kind of told them it's a good place for me to go and talk to people. You know, I didn't really go into detail. But they know that I'm not drinking. And they've heard me say I'm not drinking. So I can just bet that they love it, you know. Nice. What's on the horizon? What do you want to achieve with this new life, this opportunity that you've been given? What's on your bucket list in sobriety? I want to be able to be truly happy and in love with myself. Like I lost myself for so many years and, you know, I might have my self-esteem might have went away because I was just drunk all the time. And I just want to get back to seriously loving life and to be able to go do fun things and go out of town and go to shows and do fun things without having to drink before or while I'm there because I was the type of person that would drink doing everything. I just want to feel free where I don't even need a drink to be myself. Actually, I'm going to circle the wagons again at this moment. That's, that's all that is. In this current moment, you know, we are working towards that goal. But those concerts, those sober concerts where you're going to surprise yourself twirling and dancing on the dance floor and saying, wait a second, I've, I've just drank, you know, seven Coca-Colas tonight. That's it. <laughs> those, those moments will come. And, and I'm proud of you already for coming this far. That is so cool. And actually we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Number one, Ashley, what was your <laughs> worst memory from drinking? I actually thought about that question. And, you know, I could have said, oh, I black out all the time, which is true. I mean, people would know a lot of crappy things I've done. But what really came to my mind is when I was like 21, I was completely drunk. It was Christmas. I went to a party. I was just drunk the whole day. Anyways, at nighttime, I ended up getting jumped in an alley by this chick and a dude. Yeah, even a dude. They jumped me in this alley, and I was so wasted I could not even really defend myself. And they beat the crap out of me. And when I finally woke up in this alley, all bloody in the icy alley, I got up and I was trying to look around where the heck I was at, and I was just wandering around drunk and messed up. And here I was like a block away from the house I grew up at. And I was just so wasted, I couldn't defend myself, and I didn't even know where I was. So that was was like the worst thing that ever happened to me. Yeah, that sounds brutal. The next question, 
We've all heard of the aha moment. When was your oh shit moment indicating that you really couldn't control your drinking? It has to be when I went to that funeral a couple weeks ago, you know. Before then, I thought I could drink occasionally, you know, once down the road. But really, drinking that day and drinking all night and continuing to drink day and night for those days, that was when I realized, you know, I can't drink just one drink because it ain't going to stop. And Ashley, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? Um, like I said, to distance myself from everyone that drinks. That's what I have to do to seriously stick to it. I need to not put myself in situations where I know people are going to be drunk. And I'm going to continue going to AA. That really helps me. And, you know, of course, listening to the podcast, that it helps me to hear people's story. And Ashley, thank you for listening to the podcast. And, you know, what are your favorite resources in recovery? What are some other podcasts that you like? Um, I listen to this guy. It's not about recovery, but it totally, like, gets me motivated on life. And it's verbal surgery. And so he just, like, pumps me up on life. And so I listen to him a lot. So really, his podcast and yours are what helps. I mean, occasionally I find people on YouTube, but mostly those two podcasts. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Um, actually, I just listened to one of your podcasts where this lady said she wanted to go to Tuscany or somewhere, and she was thinking too far ahead, and she was like, why should I don't want to even go there anymore? You know, I can't drink the wine, so why would I want to go? And then she told herself, you know, I got to take this one at a time. I can't think about what I'm going to be doing further down the road. And that's like my big thing. You know, I can't think about, oh, if I meet my dad someday, how am I not going to drink a beer with him? Or if I get married someday, how am I not going to drink at my reception? You know, I need to seriously focus on today. Otherwise, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, getting grounded in the moment we are presently in is tough to do, but it's imperative we do our best at doing that. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in recovery or thinking about getting sober? I think it's really just what I said, you know, to not think about how you're going to go do this or that. Just start it now. Focus on today. And don't worry about if you have plans to go to a show or a birthday party or whatever you have a month from now. Like, just don't even put that in your mind. Just get it out of your mind and seriously just focus on today. If you just focus on today, it will get better. I love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized, you might be an alcoholic gift line. You had a bunch in there that can be used. For example, you might be an alcoholic if you're sneaking wine coolers into church camp. That was a good, that was a good one. So give listeners right. one of your own. You might be an alcoholic if you go to your usual gas station and the cashier says, what, no beer today? <laughs> That's been happening to me the last couple of weeks. <laughs> did, did, he, did he call you by name? Ashley, no beer oh, today? They, they know me, yeah. Yeah, they totally know me. And they're probably like, why is this girl like getting beer? That is so funny. Yeah, they, they asked me. <laughs> that is funny. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. Actually. Yeah, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Have you ever wanted to go see the wonder of the world called Machu Picchu? Well, I've been there twice, and let me tell you, it's incredible. On April 12th to April 22nd in 2018, we are doing a recovery elevator retreat to Machu Picchu. We are going to do some nonprofit work and volunteer at some orphanages with the nonprofit Peruvian Hearts. And then we're going to do the Inca Trail. Yeah, we are going to do the Inca Trail, hike 35 plus miles to one of the most incredible wonders of the world called Machu Picchu. Best part about it, we're going to do it sober. We're going to do it with others who are sober. It's going to be a retreat. It's going to be an amazing time. If you'd like to be put on this list, email me at info at recoveryelevator.com and put Peru in the subject line. 
Recovery elevator. We took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.